Hey everyone, this is Ben Chapman. Thank you for listening to Luminous Church Podcast. It's always an honor that you would take time out of your day to listen to us. We hope that you would see Jesus more clearly today and that you would also be inspired to make a difference wherever you find yourself. Enjoy today's sermon and God bless you. Good to be with you. Whether you're here Thursday night or you're watching live with us, we're just so thankful and honored that you would take time to spend with us um, just for a moment to uh, be encouraged through the Word of God. And the reason I'm sitting next to this man right here is uh, it started several weeks ago, and Pastor Shad and I, I honestly just needed to talk to somebody who was black, who didn't look like me. Because we realized in this moment, black lives matter. And I really needed just to talk to somebody who's a friend, who we've been friends with for the last nine years. And it's been incredible uh, what God's done through our friendship. Brandy and I joined Shattered Bell's partnership team as he was a campus minister in San Marcos, Texas. And, and it, we've just kept a friendship. And I just needed some conversation. I just needed some help understanding and also I really hurt for the black community I I think about Romans 12 and you know we say it all the time in church I've said it at many funerals I've said it in many moments I've said it in at weddings where it says in verse 15 rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn that verse right there is sandwiched in a bunch of verses in the context of those verses it's a true mark of a Christian And, and that description right there is something that's dear to my heart and something that I've wanted to walk in, a greater empathy and a greater understanding. And so when we were talking about maybe co-preaching or you preach and I just listen, which I think that's what's going to happen mostly tonight. Um, as we were talking about that, we were like, when do we do this? And, and just to be honest and transparent um, with us is... I was having a really hard time because I always, or I've recently understood and heard that in 1776, Independence Day is something that we have celebrated in my culture for the longest. Uh, But when you realize that Juneteenth is actually when the last black slave realized that he was truly free, um, two years later after he was free, um, it's amazing. I, I just... That moment right there really just was, broke me, and, and it almost gave me this leniency of just forget Fourth of July. Let's just celebrate Juneteenth, you know, because that's when true independence came. But then as you study the history, and I know you're going to go through this, you realize that just that wasn't truly freedom either. Jim Crow laws, new Jim Crow laws, systemic racism, everything that we're dealing with that has oppressed the people for over 400 years, and, and I realized that, you know, the 4th of July is an important day for us to actually do this. And so it was a moment where we said, you know what, this was a moment where our country was founded, and it was not perfect, but it's a moment that can start being redeemed and start being celebrated in a different way, and, and where we start appreciating one another in, 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 in a new light. And, and I'm excited tonight because... We get to talk about that, and we get to hear your story. 
We get to hear your story. Most of us celebrated, who are watching this online, celebrated 4th of July yesterday. But we get to hear your story on this 4th of July Sunday, on this, on this Independence Weekend. We get to hear your story. And then we get to ask you some questions. And you get to ask me some questions. Yeah. And so what I want to do more than anything, because I know I say a lot of things wrong, and I don't say things perfectly. We really need the Holy Spirit to come in to this moment. Um, we want to invite him in because the truth is there are people who are mourning yeah. and there are people who are hurting. And we need the Holy Spirit to come in and wherever you are and whatever pain you're going through, we're asking and believing that God's going to come and he's going to touch that moment of pain. and He's going to bring healing. Yes. And that's what we're believing for. So, Pastor Shad, thanks for being here. I'm going to open us in prayer if you're OK, and then I'm going to hand it over to you and uh, let you preach down the house for a little bit, and then ask you some questions. Great. Well, Father, we just are so grateful for you, God. We thank you for this place and this space to be able to talk about issues that are dear to your heart. And, Lord, I thank you that you've, Lord Jesus, just are instructing us. And right now, God, I pray that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. God, I pray that we would help understand the whole of the gospel, of Jesus and his redeeming love and his amazing grace and how he he truly loves all people. And right now there's a people group who are hurting, an ethnicity that is in pain. And Lord, I just pray that you would let us move to a place of empathy like we've never met been there before. Come Holy Spirit, help us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you Pastor Ben. Thank you all for having me here this evening. As Pastor Ben said, my name is Shad, and I serve as the lead pastor of Family Life Austin, which we're a Every Nation church plant in the downtown Austin area. And I'm excited to lead that with my wife, Caress, who's here. Also, I'm excited to have my mother-in-law, who's here with me, too, as well. And thank you, um, Pastor Ben and Pastor Brandy, for just uh, loving this church well. And I think that goes without saying, um, if any of you who are actually watching this experience or service today, um, your church loves you. Your pastors love you. This is not doing something out of a reactionary cause. This is something that when Pastor Ben came to me, there, there was extreme grief. There was extreme pain. And when we came together, we also talked about as we sat here right in this corner, I asked him and I said, are you ready for people to leave your church? And he looked at me in my eyes and he said, I am. Because the truth of the matter is, is that the people that we're sitting here in this room right now with, Maybe a year from now, or even the people who are watching, or even before the service is over, they may click off. Six months to a year from now, they probably won't be a part of this church. And they may not actually be a part of mine. And the reason why I'm saying that is because I'm not some prophet of doom. Just like I said years ago, that there would be more murders and more chaos and more injustice of things that's going on. Because that is just what the history of our nation has been. But my hope today is this, Pastor Ben, and I know that this is your hope too, is that when we read the book of Jude, when there is social injustice, when there's hurt and there's pain and there's people who are walking away from Jesus, it says that we would be a people that would snatch people out of the fire, that we would snatch people from hell, that we would go beyond what we feel and what we think and pull people back into the kingdom of God because we have a God to serve, we have a people to love, and we have a mission to fulfill. Again, we have a God to serve, we have a people to love, and we have a mission to fulfill. 
Now, I'm going to give some precursors of what I want to talk about tonight, and that's going to take me about five to seven minutes to be able to do so because we know that every word is being analyzed right now. It's going to be picked and probed apart. So I want to talk about the lens that I'm going to be coming from. This message that I'm going to be able to speak or talk about today is specifically for Christians. Um, in our church, we just did a standard series called The Standard is the Standard about our values. And our very first standard is obedience, this thing we call lordship. And so what I'm not doing today is talking about being inclusive just for the sake of being inclusive. What I'm talking about being inclusive is because the Bible actually tells us that we live a life of wanting to be with one another, that God actually calls us to be inclusive with one another. So what I'm not preaching is a social justice gospel. What I'm preaching is the true gospel that actually includes social justice. And so I want us to be able to be able to recognize that. And even for people, if you're watching here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to actually continue to watch because you may hear something that may actually change your life and bring you into this relationship with God that we love, that we care about, that we serve. And you'll be able to see what true justice actually looks like. So we're not putting band-aids over gunshot wounds. Okay, so now the second thing is that it says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord and to try to gain understanding. And so I am one man, I am one black man, I am one big black man, but I am one, I have one perspective. You know, and I don't speak for all of culture, I don't speak for all of my race, I don't speak for women who've been overlooked and oppressed in my culture and different things like that. We're just coming here to try to do one thing. Number one is to fear the Lord. So when we talk about lordship, we have to actually know what God's word says to be able to fear him. And from that place, we actually have wisdom and we try to gain understanding. And so this is something that I'm growing into. It's the same way that I'm new as a preacher and as a pastor. I know that five years from now, Lord willing, I will look back at my messages and say, man, that was pretty bad. You will. Yeah, I will. And in the same way, I may look back on some of the things that I'm talking about today and I say, you know what, I shouldn't say that. But what I do know is that I'm trying to continually gain understanding and wisdom for what the Bible talks about. And the third thing is this, is that what I want to have us to have a mindset about is that God only reveals what he's going to heal. And the reason why I say that is because some of the things that I'm going to talk about today is not to actually expose people. It's not to actually for people to feel condemned. Matter of fact, when I talk about people who are more um, astute in these areas that can help me, one of them is my friend Jeff, who helps lead worship with us. And he says, one of the things that we have to do when we come into these conversations is to remind Christians that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so when people come into these conversations, they need to be able to know that they're going to be loved when we move from this place, that they're not condemned. Because that in that moment is where people say, I'm going to reject you. I'm going to reject this God who you're trying to communicate through me to. And so that's what I want to say. So I want to talk a little bit about my story. And when I talk about my story, I want to talk about my story in regards to this. And it's the first time that somebody called me a nigger. And if that bothers you by me saying that word, it should. It should hurt. It should bring much pain. It should bring much sorrow. It should bring you a little bit of uncomfort. But the truth is, is that that word is still being used about us today. And I will get to a little bit talking about that you don't have to kill somebody And you don't have to say those words to actually be racist and prejudiced. But I remember the first time I was, we were actually driving from my hometown with my parents from Houston, Texas to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where my dad is from. And we stopped at a town in Tennessee, Backwoods, Tennessee. And we went to this restaurant called Ryan's Steakhouse. I don't know if you guys know, it's it's a big person's dream. It's just buffet galore. You can get anything that you want. 
And so I was a little kid at that particular time, and one of the cool things about being at Ryan's Steakhouse is that if you got tall enough, you got to be able to make your own plate, because we know little kids just start grabbing on foods and touching stuff, and it gets nasty at buffets. So I was allowed to be able to do that, and so I went to one of my favorite places in the restaurant, which was the dessert part, dessert part buffet, right? And I was like, man, I want to get a cookie, and the guy who was behind the counter looks at me and says, you can't have a cookie, you nigger. And I just said, well, I don't know what that word means, but I really want a cookie. <laughs> you know? And so I went to reach again, and he reiterated those words. And as he reiterated those words, he began to actually swipe a knife at me. We're talking about me being a little bit older than Benson. And I remember the outrage in the restaurant and people going crazy and my dad <laughs> going nuts and insane and Everybody is going wild, and I'm like, man, I just want a cookie. <laughs> you know? But it was in that moment on that car ride that my parents began to tell me what that word meant because my parents actually didn't raise me to just see people for their race. They raised me to be able to love people. But you know, that didn't stop there. I can remember the time shortly after that, a few years later, where a kid actually called me the same thing and threw a rock at my head, and it put me in the hospital to get treated. I remember going to Texas State University um, for the first time and leaving a party and having a double-barrel shotgun pointed to my face just because I was walking home. I remember being pulled over, and I will talk about how much I love law enforcement and officers and my friends who I serve um, alongside with them and loving them and people in my family, but I remember him saying, I'm here to make a mockery out of you. I remember those things, and I remember things something as early as two weeks ago when I was sitting in my car writing a message about joy for my church, but being profiled by it. But nobody in my church knew because what I wanted to talk about was that joy had a greater resolve than what we face today. These are the things that I still face. These are the things that many of the people that we still live with today face. And when I think about this aspect of racism, we must understand that racism is not just a person, it's a system. Just how one person doesn't make up the entirety for a whole group of people, one law enforcement officer doesn't make up for all law enforcement officers, one thug doesn't make up an existence for all black people, nor does one Christian make up all of Christianity. And so, yes, there is an individual level by which things we have to be able to look at, but there's also a greater and bigger view of it that we have to address too as well. And when I talk about these things, I want to be clear when I say this is that we all know that everybody in this country should be treated equally, but that's not a privilege. That's a human right. It's not a political issue. It's a, it's a human right for people to be able to be treated fairly. And just because one person doesn't see it as such doesn't mean that it isn't true. And this is a perfect example of that. So as we look at this particular piece of paper, what is the color of this piece of paper? Pastor Ben, what's the color of this piece of paper? What's the color of this piece of paper? What's the color of this piece of paper? Black. It's black. You say it's white. See, the only way that you would know that this paper is also black is if you would come to the other side and be able to see it. And this is what it comes down when it comes to things of perspective, is that two things can actually be true at the same time. And people want to divide our nation, but what they want to divide it with is the simple fact that they're not willing to actually go across the table and put themselves in a the perspective to be able to see what somebody else sees. 
I'm not saying that some of the things that other people say aren't true, but what I am saying is that what is on the side of this is also true to us too as well. And the reason why Pastor Ben was able to see that, that it was black, was because he was on my side. So each person, no matter where you are on this spectrum, actually needs to move to the other side to be able to gain understanding. And again, we know these things, right? Everybody's supposed to be true. We know the Declaration of Independence says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident, to be, well, we know these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed with these inalienable rights, right, by our creator. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Who is the we? Who is the we who is writing this Declaration of Independence? We hold these truths. Was it a diverse people who was sitting at that table when they were writing that we? What is their truth? Were they truly submitted to the word of God? We have to ask these questions, right? Are they true? Are they equal? Because at this particular time, there was a moment shortly after that that black people were looked as three-fifths property. We're talking about people where these people came into from another country into Jamestown and actually took Native Americans' land, and people get mad about protesting and rioting when it looks just like the Boston Tea Party. And so when I say all of this, I'm saying all of this because there are things about our past that we don't want to address. There's a reason why we don't sing the third stanza of the national anthem. And if you haven't read it, you should take a look at it of why we don't sing that. It's because... There are things that are in our history that are rooted that were not equal for other people, even though we said that it was equal. We know this to be true in church. There's a lot of people that says God is loving, but we don't love people the way that we should. And so when I look at these things, I say all this to not bash my country because I love my country. I love being here. I love it so much to the extent that when Caress and I met and she grew up most of her life in another country and she also thought about being a missionary at one point in Africa, I just said, God has called me to be here in the United States. The United States is my mission field, but in the same way that I want this country to be equal, I know that this country equally doesn't love me. I know what it feels like to hear the stories of my grandfather after he came back from war. He served in the Army and the Air Force with multiple tours, and when he came back from serving this country, they put him in the basement to be able to eat by himself because he was black. It had nothing to do with patriotism. My grandmother, who's still living today, has picked cotton before for a living. My mother's birth certificate doesn't say African-American or black. It says she's a Negro. And that she spent most of her life going through the back of doors of places to be able to be served and loved. And we're not talking about decades and decades ago. We're talking about people who are still living and alive right now in our life. And these are some of the things that I want to talk about is that our country has a dark and dirty past. It doesn't mean that we don't love our country, but it has a wound, and that wound is racism. And that wound actually is a symptom of something that is deeper called sin. So when people say, is it a skin issue or is it a sin issue, it's both. And that's what lies in the enemy tries to do. It tries to separate. It tries to divide. But the most important thing about sin that we have to remember is that we can't see sin. God uses people to call out sin. God uses the Holy Spirit to expose sin. And it's not to condemn us. It's so that we can be healed. And more than that, sin is rearing its ugly head in the church. And I think that's something that you and I decided is the reason why we want to actually discuss this. And if you don't believe that sin has that much power in your life, you're actually denying what Scripture says. 
It's the same thing. We can all come to Jesus, but you know what? When I came to Jesus, I still had an anger problem. I still do now. Type 8 Enneagram, it's in me. You know, when I came to Jesus, all of my lust issues didn't end. I still have to battle for it. And just because you come to Jesus doesn't mean that you still don't have to battle with prejudiced thoughts and feelings if you're on that side. Because sin hides itself in things like patriotism and equating that to Christianity. And worshiping things like our flag and our history. But I actually want to read a scripture and it says this in Exodus 20. It says, you shall, ma- you shall not make yourself a carved image or likeness. And above, seven, and above the heavens or above the earth, you shall now bow to, down to them or serve them. For the Lord your God is a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation. It also goes on to say this in chapter 34. It says that the Lord is gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving the iniquities of the fathers of our children and their children's children in the third and fourth generation. So what that means is this, is that this sin of racism, we can go back three or four generations and see that it's there. But according to these passages, it says if you go back three or four generations, that we are also the recipients of that sin too as well. Which means that the sin of our ancestors, the sins of those before us, actually still live inside of us today. So when people say, oh, I'm not racist or I'm not prejudiced, your generational curse, according to the Bible, will say different. And these are the things that we have to actually address. And apart from the Holy Spirit, then nothing's going to be able to change, right? Because this is what sin is. And we have to remember that the things that we celebrate, like Martin Luther King, he was actually murdered for those things years ago. People are only celebrated after they're murdered. Because what he was doing was actually pushing against the forces of darkness. And so I want us to actually remember that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a first century brown-skinned man who was falsely accused and unjustly murdered by a corrupt government that actually didn't like the things that he was speaking upon. You know, like he was not the whitewashed guys with, you know, long, you know, flowing hair and blue eyes. You know, that wasn't him. And we have to be able to look into that. And so I said this super long intro because I want us to be able to do this is that My goal and hope is this, is that we would not have a myopic view of orthodoxy. And that's a nice word for saying theology or understanding the Bible. We cannot have a narrow view anymore about what Scripture says, because when we have a narrow view about our theology, we have a very poor execution of our orthopraxy, how we actually live out theology. And these two terms actually came from an acquaintance of mine that I met at our student conference years ago, Her name is Lisa Fields, and she owns this organization called the Jew 3 Project. You can check it out if you want. So I want to be able to address these things because I'm not Democrat. I'm not Republican. And if you don't like that, then, oh, well. There's good in both. and There's bad in both. But what I'm pushing for is for this as a church and for us as Christians is that it's about repentance and not just forgiveness. It's about justice and reform, and it's about reconciliation. So I'm going to dive into this first one. So it's about repentance and not just forgiveness. In John 10, it actually says this. It says, because of the word that I've already spoken to you, you have already been made clean. When you come to ask God for forgiveness, you've already been forgiven. God has already forgiven you by what he's done on the cross. You're just coming into the realization that you need to be forgiven. And so because you have been forgiven... 
you need to know that your forgiveness is tied up in something that we call the cross. There's a vertical portion to that cross that's between you and God, but there's a horizontal piece. When God forgave you and he reconciled you back unto himself, he reconciled you not only to himself, but to his people. And so I'm saying this, that if you have seen things like you've seen moments in times where you've had racist or prejudiced thoughts, it's actually not just enough for you to go to God and ask for forgiveness. You actually have to go to your brothers and sisters and help make things right. Because there's a horizontal piece to that portion, right? Like, if we're just thinking like it's between us and God, what we want is heaven. But you're not in heaven yet. (laughs) There's still work to be done, and we have to reconcile people unto Jesus. And this is what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 5. It says, so if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there you remember that you have something against your brother or sister, or they have something against you, leave your gift at the altar, and first go be reconciled to your brother, and then come back and give your gift. So what God is saying, you know what, you can come to church, and you can worship, but if you have something in your heart that's against your brother and sister, you actually need to go do that, because your worship to him in that moment is almost pointless. And so what I want to talk about is this concept of the Imago Dei that we see in Genesis, which says that every man, every woman, every person here on this earth was created in the image of God. So this is why if you're watching today and you're not a if you're a non-believer of Jesus, this is why you can do good things, not because you're a good person or not because I'm a good person. It's because you have been created in the image of the only one who is good. And so what ends up happening is this, is that when we find ourselves in moments of tension, And we find ourselves in arguments with people, whether it be our spouses, friends, or even when it comes to this. Many of times we say, oh, this is this issue that they have in their life. Where really, if we look and see that there's good in each and every person, then we can also flip the question and say this. Is it really about the issue that you think that they have? Are you really running away from a piece of who God is? So when I get upset at my spouse and say, okay, well, why are you just being quiet during this argument? Maybe it's because I don't know how to have the peace of God in my life. Maybe I don't know how to result, not result through things through conflict. And God is trying to say, you're being mad at her, but really who you're mad at is me. Because you need peace in your soul because you want to fight for everything that you're not supposed to fight for. And so when we get into these conversations with different people, like you have to ask yourself, what piece of God is it that I don't like? What piece of God is it that I'm rejecting? Is it really just the issue? Because if racism is the symptom, then sin is the virus. Right? And so I love what Ed Stesser says. He's this guy who does a lot of like Christian statistics stuff. He says this. It's like you can't war with people and reach them at the same time. You can't do it. You can't say that I want to address somebody's sin issue and not care about their personhood. It wasn't like when Jesus said, I'm going to take this kid's lunchbox and his lunchable and change it to feed 5,000 people. He didn't just look at them and say, oh, well, y'all stay hungry, but get right with me. He actually met their need so that he could know that they would follow him, even if they were following him from the wrong thing, because then the chapter later says, you know what, you were just coming after me because you want bread when I'm the bread of life. And so we have to actually meet people's needs. And so our relationships can't actually be based off the law, as Jackie Hill Perry says. So do you need to forgive people, ask for forgiveness just because you're white? If, they, if you're thinking like that, I don't know if need is the right word. It's you should desire to. You should want to. 
You should be willing to. You should have enough biblical knowledge to be able to see that the generations that came before you, that sin and iniquity still lives inside of your life unless those generational curses are broken. And what we're not asking for is sympathy. I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. What we're asking about is empathy, putting ourselves in the position of somebody else, even though they know that they won't feel like that. That is something that I'm currently doing when I think about women, black, white, in between, is that I have a privilege as a male, and I would never understand what it feels like to be a woman, but I can put myself in their shoes and be able to fight and advocate for them, knowing that they've been hurt and oppressed over the years. And you can do that with any issue. And when we're able to do this and we're able to see these things, we can be more secure of ourselves. It's for the same reason, right? There are a lot of bad churches and there are a lot of bad pastors in the world. You are not in, and this is not one. But I don't go around preaching all the bad churches in the area because I'm, so good, I'm secure enough to know in God that I'm a good one. And we have a good church. But because people have been hurt by bad churches, and because people have been hurt by bad pastors, I have an obligation to go to them and say, even though I didn't cause this pain, I'm here to still help fix it. I have a responsibility, I have a God-given call to be able to do that. So my friends who are in the military, who I love, my friends who are in the law, office, law officers, I tell them, you know what you signed up for. I know every time that I get up on this stage, I'm here to get arrows shot at me. I'm here to get looked down upon and people to not trust me, but I love them anyway because my security isn't in them, my security is in God. So when we look at Colossians chapter 3, when it says work as though you're working for God and not for man, there's a whole list of all the injustices that were happening in that moment where Paul was actually trying to create a multi-ethnic church, but he says no matter what you're doing in these moments, you're doing it for God and not for other people. And so this is why we need to go beyond just forgiveness. We need to actually repent before our brothers and sisters because that leads us to the responsibility of entering into justice and reform. Repentance is a military word. It's an action. It's not a feeling. It's a command by God that he actually tells us to walk in. You do something because it's right, not because you feel as though it's right. Some things you just do, right? When people have issues and they go to marriage counseling, they don't go to marriage counseling because they say, oh, we feel really good about each other, so now we'll go to marriage counseling and get it worked out. They're like, we're going to marriage counseling because this is right, because we need the feelings to follow afterwards. And so when it comes to things like justice and reform, we have to be strong and courageous, right? We wouldn't need to be strong and courageous if God had already gave us the land. It's like, go be strong and courageous, but there's your land and your building right there. No, we do that in faith. So as Christians, we can pray for our accuser to get saved, right? We can pray for people who do wrong, but they still need to be punished here on earth. We're not free of our consequences. There are sins that I created in the past that actually affect my marriage and my relationships today. I am free from the burden and the condemnation of that, but the consequences that I have to face, I still have to be able to walk through those things right now. And when Micah it tells us to do justice to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. It doesn't say do justice when you feel good about it or anything like that. It says do justice first. And when we talk about expanding our view of theology, Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now this word righteousness actually comes from this word called doxikeo. I probably just murdered it, Right? When we say, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything be added unto me. We, oh, we start praying in tongues as charismatic. Yes, God's going to give me everything I wanted, right? 
but we actually don't understand what these words mean because that word doxakeo actually means justice. It doesn't mean just you being in right relationship with God. Yes, that's one thing, but there's another translation of it that says justice. So it can be interpreted as this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things will be added amongst to you. Right? Because this, there's, this, there's this vertical portion of it of being reconciled to God, but there's this justice part that's collectively too as well. And so we have to actually expand our theology about it. And you don't have to create a heinous crime to actually understand this. We want justice to be served. Justice and laws and things like that need to be fixed and they need to be made. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to say this nicely. Even when people who are not of color cry, white tears are not more important than minorities' blood. We're all crying. We're all hurting. Things are all messed up. But if a house is burning down down the street, I'm not going to say all houses matter. I'm going to go to the one that's hurting, whether it affects me or not. And the bottom line is this, is that we have to be able to bring real change. But we need to be able to actually mobilize awareness. We need to be able to organize efforts. And we as a church need to be able to actually create resources and avenues for people to succeed. So when we say things of like, we can't create justice in form, all you have to do is look to your church and see what every job somebody has and says, I can start there. I can start making a presence there. I can start doing things because this is the truth. There is no social or political advancement without economic advancement. And so we as a church have to be able to help create economic spaces for people to be able to thrive and flourish. And the last thing is, I know I'm taking a lot of time, is reconciliation. This is the biggest thing that I want to be able to leave us with today. This is the reason why Jesus came to save us, right? So that we could be reconciled back unto him and that we can draw other people back under him as well. Forgiveness is a choice that happens in a moment, but reconciliation is a process. Forgiveness is a choice. You don't have to feel right to forgive somebody. But the process of reconciliation is hard work and it's underestimated. And this is where people will be able to walk away from things because they're not willing to put in the work that it takes to actually be reconciled. We underestimate it. You have to work to see healing happen in us. And for the rest of us as minorities in this room or those who are watching online, I just want to be very clear when I say this. Yes, we want justice. Yes, justice should happen in this earth. But at the end of the day, true justice is from the Lord. People can get away from things here on this earth, but they can't get away from God. That does not mean that we don't try to bring heaven into earth and to fix things here on this earth. But at the end of the day, even the people who do not advocate for justice will be judged by the Lord. Because this is the thing. A judge can bang a gavel for one of these cases and justice can be served and one of these people can be put in jail and we can rejoice and be happy about that, but then there will be another case. And then there will be another one, and another one, and then there will just be bandages over gunshot wounds, and gavels that are banged are good, but gavels don't bring reconciliation. We can throw this person in jail, and we can still not be reconciled as a nation. And that's what I want us to be able to remember, is that real reconciliation takes real fighting for. And people who are privileged by nature, and what I'm not talking about is privilege just based upon finances. That's classism. We can talk about that a little bit later, too. There's a difference of that. 
But people who are privileged or superior should always make a way and effort to actually come to the other side of this paper to help make reconciliation happen. It's hard to help a wounded warrior keep fighting. And some wounds, the hardest, the biggest, the hardest ones we know many of times are actually in our hearts. And it's not fair, right, for minorities to say, I have to keep fighting, but you do. People of color, I know that we cannot... We can't keep demanding respect. We can't keep demanding justice when we understand that God is the one who canceled all of our debt. We can plead for it. We can fight for it. We can cry out for it, but to demand to legalize somebody's heart, we know we cannot legalize people's hearts. It's another Band-Aid over a gunshot wounds. And to the both of those who are either on the left or the right, And my church knows what I'm about to say is that God has a different standard for what reconciliation looks like. Because to be truly reconciled to people in God's eyes, it takes more than just fighting to be equal. It takes more than just doing that. The question that I have for you is that are you willing to fight for equality in such a way that you're willing to be inferior? Because people will say, well, when's enough's enough on one side? Why do we kind of have to keep helping them? But the truth is, is that, and I'm going to say this, and maybe most people won't agree with it, the human heart does not want equality. It wants to be superior. And so the only way that you can combat that is to be like Jesus, who was superior with all riches, all power, all authority, every possession in his hand, and he came to earth to lower himself, to live a life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died so that he could actually prop us up So the question is, is that if you are white or privileged, are you actually willing to lose all of that so that somebody else can be superior over you? For those who are a minority and for those who are hurting, are you willing to say, I'm inferior because I'm constantly keep serving God and my approval is not from them because I know that there's a riches in heaven that lays there for me. And nobody wants to do this because the issue is we lose power. And we have to actually die to ourselves. So when it comes to church, what I think God is exposing right now is that he wants us to be connected and not just cordial. He wants us to actually be united and not just accepting of each other's differences. And what God is doing right now, as it says in the scriptures, it says God is shaking everything. And he's shaking the church right now to see who's really going to stick it out and who's really going to be here. And this is where the difference goes from our orthodoxy or our theology to actually orthopraxy. Christians today want to run from issues because they're lazy to be able to expand their mind about theology so they actually don't have to practice it like James tells us to. And finally, I say this, whether you're white, black, yellow, green, in between, we actually don't need each other to survive financially. Statistically, blacks, Latinos, Um, Asians, whites, everybody can actually be separate, and we don't need each other financially to thrive, but to actually fulfill the great commission we do. And this is why I say that this message is for Christians, because the Bible says that we will reach every tribe, every tongue, every race, every gender, every personality that we don't agree with, and if you have a problem with that now, you will definitely have a problem with heaven. You will not want to be there. And maybe that may be the thing that's keeping you from there. Reconciliation is powerful. Reconciliation is the thing that actually allowed me to be able to marry Caress. Reconciliation is powerful because it's the thing that actually united our families together. 
Reconciliation is the reason why God used college students to actually help heal the wounds of my mom's hurts growing up. Reconciliation is the reason why I'm saved, and reconciliation is the reason why God has put me on mission. And I say the words of Nehemiah, and I speak that prophetically over our church, your church, every, every nation church, and every nation, every church in this nation, is that we are doing a great work, and we cannot come down. This is not the time to quit. I know you're hurting. I know you're in pain. I know you're frustrated, but you can't quit now because at the end of the day, Christians are going to need each other the closest that Jesus comes to returning back because people are actually going to turn against us. So we need to be united on this front. Family life, we actually need every person to not quit and be a part to help plant this church in this COVID season. We don't need you all to run away. Everybody here at Luminous, you all need each other to keep fulfilling the Great Commission in the next season of what God has for you coming up. Every Christian officer, we know that you face fears and things that's going on, but you know what? When I grew up in the hood, I wanted an officer to be able to walk me from home when people were shooting dice and gambling and throwing drugs into their system. I had to walk by that every day, and I wanted a cop to say, I care about this community, so we need you not to quit. We need people not to quit. We need every social justice warrior to pick up their armor and say, it's time to keep fighting. You may have put your armor down because you're tired and you're hurting, but this is not the time to quit. God has not given you the right and the ability to quit. He's given you the power that's inside of him to keep pushing. Our Savior borrowed the cross. He's not there anymore. There's resurrection power that's inside of us that we can defeat this because God has already defeated it. So I say all that to say this is that I'm actually willing to die for this. I told Caress that if I get shot, if I get murdered, if I get my church falls apart. I'm, I'm willing to die for this because my Savior died for me. I'm willing to die for any injustice. I'm willing to die for people who are hated. I'm willing to die for people who kill babies. I'm willing to die for the injustices in this world. I'm willing to die for somebody who doesn't love me. I'm willing to die for this country that doesn't love me. I'm willing to die for it. And so I say all that to say is that whether you've been kneeling because you've been protesting or whether you've been kneeling on both knees because you're sad and you're in tears and you're in prayer, or whether you haven't been and you've been standing up in arrogance, not kneeling beside those who are hurting, I'm saying at this moment in time, whatever your posture is, everybody has to stand up and lock arms to keep moving to what God is calling us to do because we got a God to serve, a people to love, and a mission to fulfill. Man, I feel like we need a moment where we just really just let this sit. You know, I think questions and all that can can wait, you know. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart. Love you, man. Love you, too. Let's uh let's stand. Wherever you are, let's let's stand. And, you know, I know that maybe we're socially distanced and we can't link arms. Um, but I think more than just the physical side of linking arms, I think it's a, there's a spiritual side of linking hearts and linking up with one another and moving and fighting and believing like we haven't believed before. And I just think that's what we need. And I don't need to write a bunch of ellipsis after this. I don't need to 
re-preach, wrap this up. In fact, um, just just a heads up, we're doing a Zoom call this Wednesday night to answer all questions. Um, so that was something that Pastor Chad and I talked about doing some of the questions there and some questions tonight. But I just feel like we'll just do all questions Wednesday night. And let's just sit in this and let's have just Pastor Shad just pray over us and unite our hearts. And so whether you're online right now, maybe you're needing to reach out to somebody or text somebody or share this and so that you can link hearts with somebody else, then I would encourage you to do so. And uh, we're doing that tonight. And so I'm going to let Pastor Shad close us. And um, I just I just literally want to listen. I just want to sit here and listen. So, Dear God, you see what's really happening. Nothing catches you by surprise. COVID-19 did not catch you by surprise. These deaths or injustices did not catch you by surprise. But you're using all of these things to expose our hearts. And right now, our hearts lay bare because whether we feel like we are on the left or we are on the right, it's a reminder that's how you stretched your hands out on the cross when you died for us, pulling us back together so that we can be reconciled and united. And I just speak the words over Nehemiah, over us, is that we're doing a great work as believers and we cannot come down. We can't keep fighting for it. We can't stop fighting for each other. We can't stop fighting for our churches. We can't stop believing. We can't stop loving. We can't stop coming across the table to try to have understanding. So God, would you give us the strength to do this? This burden's too great. It's too much to bear. But your word tells us that Christ in us is the hope of glory. Dear God, I believe that your power of the Holy Spirit that resurrected you from the cross is greater than every feeling, sin, and emotion that we have. And God, help me. This is not just something that I come in and say I know all the answers to. And for you even seeing that I had to go to somebody else who I love and adored recently and just say, hey, I didn't trust you. I didn't trust you because of your color and because of your sin, and they did nothing wrong to me. And I believe that our hearts need to always be exposed before God to correct us. So if there's anything in our hearts and our minds, Lord, reveal it, correct it reconcile it, not so that we can just be reconciled unto you, but that we could reconcile to each other. For that is the cross, Lord. Dear God, I thank you that from this moment that the church will be your greatest vessel to be used. Just weeks ago, before all these things were happening, I told Caress that I felt this word from the Lord, that there's a spiritual awakening that's coming. And God, you're waking us up right now. You're showing us all of our sins. You far and in between. Not so that you can expose us, so that you can heal us and that you can make us a strong army to go out and fulfill your will. So we trust you, God. We follow your leadership. We come underneath your presence. And we say, God, may we be like you. May we be the person who takes the towel off of our waist we lower ourselves and we wash the feet of those even who may hurt us or not understand us from the left or from the right and everything in between. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we are so thankful that you made it tonight. Thank you for watching online. Thank you to Family Life 
Austin for being here, Pastor Shad just being so vulnerable, and we love you so much. If you need prayer for anything, then then we just invite you to send in your prayer request to to uh, or DM us right now, and we will respond and we'll pray for you right now. And so so do that. We have people ready to pray for you. And here tonight, I just want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, we're going to have some prayer workers up here, and we'd love to pray with you before you leave this place. Be blessed. We love you, and we'll see you next week.